0: Exodus chapter 4. We'll continue from where we left off last week. We find ourselves in verse 18. It's page 61 in the Pew Bibles. Chapter 4, verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted, you to, wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and son and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt and he took the staff of God in his hand the lord said to moses when you return to egypt see that you perform before pharaoh all the wonders i have given you the power to do but i will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go then say to pharaoh this is what the lord says Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord said. Had sent him to say. And also about all the miraculous signs. He had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron. Brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything. The Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs. Before the people. And they believed. And when they heard. That the Lord was concerned about them. And had seen their misery. They bowed down and worshipped. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word given to us. Thank you for the truth of it, the grace of it. Father, as we gather around it, would you help us to hear it, to apply it and be transformed. Father, we long to be fed by the Spirit and we long to see Jesus. So would you do that through this passage? In your mercy we ask it. Amen. Well, last week we left Moses at the burning bush. He was giving God excuses, asking God questions, why he shouldn't go into Egypt and confront Pharaoh. Remember, it's a big thing to do. We likened it to asking the Americans to give up using oil. Or using the internet. It was a huge thing. Moses was asking for the slaves to be set free. Big thing. And Moses gives a list of excuses. And a list of reasons why he shouldn't. He resists God's will. I thought it would be quite interesting this morning. If we just spent a moment in our own hearts. We've had communion. And we've, we've looked inside ourselves. And asked God to to judge us. And reveal to ourselves anything that is wrong with us. But it's right for us just to ask this question. H- have you ever struggled against God's will? Can you remember a time when you yourself have struggled against God's will? It's a big question. And can give some pretty huge answers. So, there ever a time... You wrestled against God's will. I wonder what the reasons for your struggle were. What held you back? I can remember very clearly wrestling against God's will myself. I'm sure others in the room can remember times when we've wrestled against His will. As you know, I'd been a a police officer, I liked being a police officer, and I'd been in Hong Kong as a police officer, I'd come back from Hong Kong, and uh, God called me to be a pastor, and I wrestled against that. I liked being a police officer, I thought I was a fairly good police officer, it was a fairly cool, well-paid job, I liked it, it was exciting, I had good friends, And God was asking me to leave it and become a pastor. Well, I really wrestled because on coming back from Hong Kong, uh, I was offered my old job back in Slough in the Thames Valley Police. And I wrestled with whether I should take it or not. It all came to a head one Sunday. I'd been out with my friends. We'd been uh, at a barbecue with my old shift. And we were great mates. We'd had a great time. Uh, We'd had burgers it's a bit creaky isn't it we had burgers and it was lovely and I knew I needed to get to church but they were saying to me Andy don't 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 work in the church you'll do much more good for society in the police than you ever will in the church and that hit me I went to church that evening and the church that I grew up in uh, looked much like this only it was about a third of the size uh, and so I came in through that door just up there, and I sat just behind well, I didn't, actually, I sat actually over there, right at the corner to start with. But you see, the, the service was so long and boring. <laughs> and it was a beautiful summer's evening that people were leaving. And so the people where the laid laws were sitting and just behind them, I thought, "I'm getting a bit bored, and we're off. They were gone. And so I was sitting up where Jen is sitting, and I started sliding along. And I could slide, because we didn't have barriers in the pews. And I slid from where Jen is, right the way to just behind Andrew Laidlaw, there. If you can't see that, this side, I'm very sorry, but I slid along, all right? And uh, at the end of the service, there was a tap on my shoulder. Now, I hadn't realized the church had practically all left, because I wasn't bored, You see, I wasn't listening. I was praying. Now, that sounds really self-righteous, but I was actually asking God, can I go back into the police? I was saying to God, I think you've made a mistake. I'm a good police officer. I like being a police officer. I'm going to be a rather rubbish minister. And there were people in the church, in the church I grew up with, and they knew me, and they knew I was going to be a pretty rubbish minister. I turned up with black eyes. I... Used to nip out after the service for a cigarette. I'd been out with a lot of their daughters, and that hadn't gone well. <coughs> it really wasn't looking good. And there was a, a, a tap on my shoulder, and uh, I looked round, and there was this girl I hadn't really seen her before. She's called Evelyn, and she was from Wycliffe Bible Translators. And she said, "Are you Andy Caldwell?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm Andy Caldwell." And she said, phew, she said, I've got a message for Andy Caldwell. But I don't know who Andy Caldwell is, but God spoke to me. I was praying for the service. I was praying that God would bless the service. Excuse me. (coughs) I've got a little bit of bread. I was praying before the service, and God (laughs) God gave me a message for Andy Caldwell. But I didn't know who he was. So I said, well, Lord, let him come and sit near me. And she said, there was no one sat near me except a a load of women. Sorry, Andrew. (laughs) And uh, I didn't think any of them were Andy Caldwell. And then she said, I've watched you throughout the service slide all the way along, (laughs) from Jenny Halbert all the way to sitting in front of me. And so she thought, you might be Andy Caldwell. And I said, I'm Andy Caldwell. And she said, well, God gave me a message for you before the service. I'm like, really? And she opened up her Bible to Isaiah chapter 42. And she started reading it and she said to me, Andy, this is about Jesus. But Jesus wants you to know that he's saying it to you today as well. It's about Jesus, but today God is saying it to you. And she read, this is what the sovereign Lord says, he who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it. Who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I'll make you to be a covenant for the people. And a light to the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind. To free captives from prison. And to release from the dungeons Those who sit in darkness. Our pew Bibles then were good news. And they used the word prisoners. To set the prisoners free. She said, does that mean anything to you? And I said, yeah, I've just been praying the whole service. That I could go back into the police. And put the prisoners back into prison. She says, well that's good. Because there's another bit to the message. She said, Andy... God knows that you will try and stop you being in ministry. And God knows that there will be people that will try and stop you in ministry. But I want you to know I've called you. And I am with you. It's lovely for me. Similar to Moses. When he says, who am I? Now I'm nothing like Moses. But Moses spoke, was spoken to the same way by God. Who am I? I will be with you. So if there's any of us here that are wrestling against God's will, he's tapping us on the shoulder, and he's saying, I've called you this way, and I'll be with you. When it's tough, when it's lonely, I'll be with you. Cast your burdens onto me, for I care for you. One of the most beautiful uh, passages in the Bible is Proverbs chapter 3. We know it fairly well. It will be fairly familiar. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. <coughs> and He will make your paths straight. It's beautiful. And in this passage, in Exodus chapter 4, we see exactly that. We see Moses commit his ways to God. We see him acknowledge God in all his ways. We see him trust in him and God makes the road straight. I do apologize. He makes all the, all the paths straight. He removes the stones and straightens the hairpins for Moses. There are a number of them. I've got four of them here. The first hairpin, the first boulder in Moses' way is actually his father-in-law. That's the first one. Uh, father-in-law. You can see a few fathers-in-law in here. We had fathers-in-laws at the first service as well. I've got a mother-in-law. Uh, the first hurdle is, is, is Moses, his father-in-law. You see, Jethro is head of the family. Now Moses probably is a little bit older than Jethro because Moses is 80 uh, and Jethro is Zipporah's uh, father. Now he's probably in his 60s. Uh, is probably in her 30s to 40s and Moses is, is in his 80s, Okay. But he has to go to Jethro to say, can I go? It would cause absolute chaos if he was just to up and go. That's what Jacob did with with Laban. And that caused absolute chaos. He was chased after and all kinds of things happen. And Moses goes and says to his father-in-law, please, can I go back to my people? and see if they're still okay. The NIV doesn't have the word please, but it is in there, and most translations have the word please. Please let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. It's quite a humble thing to do for an 80-year-old. To go and ask permission. You see, it's a big thing to go. He would be taking Jethro's future, his daughter, his grandchildren. And he'd be leaving. Moses is looking after the sheep. This would be a big asset to Jethro. And he would lose. And very humbly Moses goes. And I, and I love that. Moses is, we are told in Numbers 12 verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. and humble humble. Man, Moses, lives that out. He goes, please. That meekness, meekness is a lovely word. We don't like it. We're we're grown up tough. I looked through my sermon illustration books yesterday to find a great illustration about meekness. You know what? It just wasn't there. Because we don't want to think about being meek. I remember the poster campaign a few years ago that had uh, a picture of Jesus looking like Shea Guevara, and it said, Jesus Christ, meek and mild, no way, something like that. Because we don't like that word meek. Who wants to be meek? Well, Jesus says he's meek. In that great passage where he he says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest, in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, because I am gentle, humble of heart. Some translations combine the gentle and humble of heart to meek. That's what it means. Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, imperfect harmony, the man who was God. And Moses displays that meekness, that gentleness and humility. Gentleness and kindness, again associated with meekness, are are flavors of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's such a shame we don't like that word. I did find uh, a couple of nice illustrations to to look at gentleness and humility, Uh, and they were really about the life of George Washington. There's one story of him where he's going fox hunting and they're chasing the fox and they're jumping over fences and walls and his horse jumps over a a, a wall and knocks a stone off. Immediately, George Washington stops the horse, gets off and starts to rebuild the wall. And one of his friends says, George, what are you doing? You're far too big a man to do that. And as he puts the stone on top, he says, No, I'm just the right size. I like that there's another occasion during a, a, a battle against us against the British hope you're enjoying this Larry up there in, in one of the battles against the British there uh they're, they're building up some defenses and, and he's walking around his troops he's a general and uh he's got a big long overcoat on and he comes across this corporal who's shouting at three men trying to lift this tree up and, and build this wall and the corporal's going come on What's wrong with you? You're weaklings. Lift. And no matter how hard these guys try, they cannot lift this this great big timber. Lift it. The man in the overcoat walks up to the corporal and he says, Corporal, why don't you help them? And the man looks at him and says, Sir, I am a corporal. I do not help them. The man in the overcoat takes the overcoat off and joins the three men and lifts it up. General Washington. It's lovely. It's Jesus. The man who was God came to earth gently and gave his body that we might live. Cast Your burdens onto Him. He cares for you. Isaiah 42, I read you a bit of it. This is the start of it. Here is my servant. Talking about Jesus, not talking about me. Talking about Jesus Christ. Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. How good is that? To those who feel on the verge of being snuffed out. On the verge of being broken in two. Jesus says, I won't let that happen. Cast your cares onto him. For he cares for you. So that's the first roadblock. Moses' father-in-law. But Moses' father-in-law blesses him and says, Go in peace. Shalom. He speaks a blessing over him. Wholeness, life, prosperity. Go with you, Moses. And he sends him on his way. The second roadblock, the second hairpin, the, the next lump in the road that God will make straight are the furious men who want to kill him. Verse 10. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. One of the reasons that Moses didn't want to go back is there were a lot of people that had it in for him very significantly. They wanted his life. But God's gone ahead of him. God's dealt with it. Moses has outlived them. They've all died natural deaths. He's in his 80s still alive and fit. God has smoothed the way. It wasn't for Moses to deal with the difficult people or the difficult situations. It was the Lord. And the Lord goes ahead of him. And smooths the way. It's just so beautiful. And Actually, there's a lesson here for us. Relationships, when they go wrong, can cause us to stumble. When I used to preach about it in my old church, uh, a a, a group of people called it the F word. Now, I wasn't swearing. I was talking about forgiveness. Uh, And they'd say, well, it's very hard to forgive. Yeah, it is. But God calls us to do that. Jesus says we're to love our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. That's His command. We pray the Lord's Prayer often and says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's core of our being. Hard. Hard painful it's where the rubber hits the road but it's what the Lord calls us to do trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight it's one of the ways we're called to acknowledge him to walk rightly with Him. And God goes ahead and He smooths the path. The next hurdle, the next stumbling block, the next lump in the road, the hairpin that needs to be straightened is Pharaoh. Verse 21, The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you, the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. It's an incredible thing. God is saying, I'm going ahead of you. I've given you my staff. You will have power in the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things. These will speak to Moses. But actually Moses still won't let you go because I'm going to harden his heart. Now, Some of us, that sounds a bit harsh, a bit unfair. How how can God do this? How can God raise up Moses to go do these signs and at the same time harden Pharaoh's heart? It's a big question. It's one that people have debated and questioned for centuries. What chance did Pharaoh have? Is this fair? Well, you'd be glad to know that we're not the only ones that wrestle with that. Paul wrestles with that. If you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, sorry, not 1 Corinthians, Romans chapter 9, we actually get an insight into Paul grappling with this very issue. How is it fair? God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's asking Mer- Moses to go and reveal God's will, and yet at the same time, He's hardening Pharaoh's heart. Here's what Paul writes, verse fourteen. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and will have compassion on whom on whom I have compassion. Verse 16. It does not therefore depend on a person's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Paul comments, verse 18, Therefore God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy. And He hardens whom He wants to harden. One of you will say to me, Then why does God still blame us? For who resists His will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Paul grapples with this and he says, we're going to say this isn't fair. But God is fair. God is just. God has mercy on who he has mercy. And actually Pharaoh's job here is to resist. So that God's glory and God's mercy can be revealed. Pharaoh is called to be the bit of grit in the oyster that causes the pearl to be seen. Is that fair on Pharaoh? Well, Paul says that's not for us to decide. And I thank God it's not for us to decide, it's for God to decide. And the judge of all the earth will do right. He knows. He's the one who hardens and he's the one who has mercy. And he has mercy on whom he has mercy. So we don't have to make God's judgment for him. God will make his judgment. But in this instance, in this hardening, it is designed not for an eternal purpose, though it is, it's designed primarily to be the grit in the oyster that will display God's glory. So that God's power, God's loveliness, God's truth can be displayed for people to see. Come judgment day, that's God's business. God, the judge of all the earth, will do right. And God goes ahead. He's going to do these wonders. And although it seems like Pharaoh holds all the cards, actually God does. Because he is doing the hardening and the softening. One person wrote, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is this. It's a withdrawal of the, soft, of the softening grace, leaving him to himself. And that's what it is. As God hardens, he, he just withdraws his softening grace and allows Pharaoh to be Pharaoh. And that's why David prays after his sin. After his adultery with Bathsheba, he prays to God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But create in me a clean heart, a steadfast heart, a willing spirit to sustain me. He doesn't ask for the crown not to be removed. He doesn't ask for his kingdom to remain intact. He merely asks that God would not take his presence from him. Would not take his spirit from him. He doesn't want to be hardened. He wants to be soft in God's Hand. trust in the Lord with all your heart do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight the fourth roadblock the fourth stumbling block the fourth hairpin in the road is actually Moses himself Moses' own faithfulness And we get this amazing story uh, from verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. What? Hold on, we've just got God saying, I'll be with you wherever you go. And all of a sudden, they've stopped off in uh, the the dog and duck and God's wanting to kill him. What's going on here? He he doesn't really get much of a mention because Zipporah comes out. She takes a flint knife and cuts off her son's foreskin and we're all wincing a little bit. And touches Moses' feet with them. That's actually a euphemism in, in our NIVs. Um, he says, surely you are a, a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. What is going on there? What on earth is going on there? Well... The tradition is, and this is the rabbis and the the Jewish tradition, is that Moses' first son, his eldest son, was in fact circumcised. That Moses kept that way. But when his second son came along, that his days in the desert had got to him and he cooled somewhat in his ardour for the Lord and the covenant. Other people argue that perhaps Zipporah herself, and we gather it from these verses, was really against circumcision. She didn't like it. She saw it happen to her first son but by the time the second son came she said, you, you're not circumcising him. And on the way God comes to Moses. Because he cannot serve God with unfaithfulness and unfinished business in his heart. God has to deal with it. One commentator commentator called Youngblood points out that before Moses could return to Egypt to re- rescue the covenant people as their acknowledged leader, he himself must obey the covenant in every detail. It's the same for us. The rules have changed. We don't get circumcised. We live by faith. We live in trusting in Jesus' death that it is enough. We've taken a rest from the works of the Old Testament and we've entered into Jesus' rest. He did the work. He died on the cross. He was circumcised. He led the life we should live. We trust in Him and come in Him. But there's a point here for us. Our own faithfulness or our lack of it creates a stumbling block for us, for the people around us, creates a, a hairpin in the road. There's a, a beautiful scene in uh, The Lion, The Witch in the Wardrobe, when Mr. Beaver is talking about Aslan, this lion, to Lucy. And Lucy asks Mr Beaver this question Is Aslan quite safe? And he's a lion after all. Mr Beaver explodes. Safe he says. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. This is God. But he's good. There's another great scene. It's not quite as well known. It's in the silver chair. There's a haughty girl called Jill Pole. She lands in Narnia with Eustace Scrub. He was once a spoilt and whiny little child, but he's met with Aslan and been transformed by him. Jill gets into a tussle with Eunice at a cliff's edge, and she, she pushes him off. As Eustace falls, Aslan rushes up and blows this huge stream of breath to catch Eustace. And magic carpet-like take him away, far away to safety. Aslan then turns to Jill. And to Jill's relief, he walks into the forest, but she grows thirsty She can hear from within the forest the sounds of a stream. Her thirst finally drives her to seek the source of this sound. She proceeds, she's cautious and she's afraid. But she discovers Aslan there by the stream. And she's paralyzed by fear. She waits a long time, wrestling with her thoughts, hoping he will go away. He's rock still by this source of water. Finally, Aslan speaks. If you are thirsty, you may drink. Jill is startled, and she holds back. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst said Jill Then drink said the lion May I Could I Would you go would you mind going away while I do said Jill The lion answered this only by a look and a very la- low growl And just as Jill gazed at his motionless Bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked a whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her near frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing she had become a step nearer. Do you eat girls? she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and empress, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor if it were sorry, nor if it were angry. Just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. If Moses wants to walk God's way, he must walk in faithfulness. There are no half measures. There are no half Christians. We either put our trust in God or we don't. Failures and all. And come to Him for forgiveness and restoration and a dusting down and a cleansing and a setting back off. Because He is both Lion of the tribe of Judah and Lamb of God. Meek and mild. Holy and just. Glorious and mighty. King of kings and Lord of lords. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make you Your path straight. And he does. Moses thanks to Zipporah's faithfulness. Gets up. And moves on. And God's gift comes to him. Aaron. God's beautiful gift comes. He comes and kisses him. He comes and speaks for him. The elders are gathered together. And Aaron says all that God had given him to say. And look at that final sentence. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. This is our God who sees our misery, sees our pain, and enters into it, deals with it, makes our road straight, even when we ourselves are the cause. He's a good God. So what about us? Well, there's a, a hymn we sing occasionally at nine o'clock, and I want to finish with its words because it about sums it up. It's by John Sammis. It's called Trust and Obey. And these are the words. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what glory he sheds in our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey let's pray Father David cried out to you and said Lord search me and try me know my anxious thoughts See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. Amen.